Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man whose fantasy football team is 4-0 and and the whole roster is healthy as horses. Here is the captain. That's because my starting quarterback is Michael Jordan. My starting wide receiver is Babe Ruth. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Open up the garage fridge and gaze at the bounty. Today, how about some more Montucky Cold Snacks from Contract Brewery? Montucky Cold Snacks is 16 ounces of American lager refreshment. ABV 4.1%, garage grade three and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some thanks and praise to our friends who helped us fill up that fridge today. First up, here's a little cheers to April in Dalton, Illinois. And a big shout out to Penny in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. Next up, a big cheers to Ian Leahy and parts that are unknown. And a big we like your jib to old Susanna in Stockholm, Sweden. And here's a cheers and thank you to Laura in Rochester, New York. And last but certainly not least, a cheers to Jimmy and Amy over at Screaming Tuna in Milwaukee. Everybody we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, you got to watch out for the screaming tuna and the ugly tuna. It'll get you. For everything True Crime Garage, check out truecrimegarage.com. And for all of our old episodes, download the Stitcher app. They're free. And we have a bonus show called Off the Record. If you're not listening to that, get on it. What are you doing? You're failing at life. You offer nothing to society. Go to truecrimegarage.com. Click on Off the Record to learn more about that show. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
All right, so where we left off yesterday, we have two suspects. One passed the polygraph test. One did not. Wayne Nance passed the polygraph, according to what we have found. And the husband, Harvey Pounds, the results were listed as inconclusive. There was some real holdback information. We called bullshit on some of the other yesterday. But there was some real holdback information here. This was how the ropes were tied to the bed. Okay, so they weren't just tied to the bedpost. And if you read the newspaper articles, that's the way that they make it sound. And I think the sheriff's department did that on purpose. The way that they were actually tied to the bedpost is that they were looped around the bedpost and then brought down and tied to the bed frame itself. Another thing was that Mrs. Pounds, her clothing had been cut off of her and was found on the floor in the bedroom. That was not released to the public. The other thing was the secret location of the gun. Now, we, we said that several sources stated that where they found the gun was holdback information. In fact, what was holdback information was where the gun was hidden inside the home before the killer, be it Wayne Nance, be it Harvey Pounds or whomever, mm-hmm. got it before using it to kill Donna Pounds. This is very interesting because what this does, I think, really has to shrink your suspect pool greatly. The gun was hidden inside of, you know, sometimes people will fashion a piece of furniture that it has like a secret compartment. Right. That's where this gun was kept. The problem with that is there was only about a list of six or seven people according to everyone interviewed in the family that knew that that gun was in that secret compartment in a piece of furniture inside the master bedroom of the home. Of course, everyone in the family knew that it was in this location. Right. Outside of that, it sounds like only a couple people, but on that list, that very short list, oddly enough, Wayne Nance knew where that gun was. Hmm. This is according to the pound son, Kenny, who is off at the army. They tell him there's been an accident at home. You need to get home. That's all we can tell you. I guess his father, Harvey pounds had ongoing heart issues. And so his immediate thought was, Oh my God, my, my father's died of a heart attack. He gets home to find out, no, it's his mother. It's not been an accident. She was murdered inside the home. When he's interviewed, he tells the detectives that me and my friend Wayne Nance, who lives you know, nearby. It was seen in their backyard. Yes, but again, I don't think that this was known to any of the Pounds family. Right, right. That's only known to law enforcement. Correct, because they don't know where they're going with this. They're still really looking at Harvey Pounds. They find out that this gun is in some kind of secret location, this this hidey hole that's been constructed into a, a piece of furniture, and they're going, well, it's got to be Harvey. No, Kenny tells them, not only did I show Wayne at one time when we were kids where this gun was, being curious kids, we took it out of that compartment, and we actually fired the gun on one occasion. Mm. So this is quite interesting. Now let's talk about Wayne Nance a little bit more. As said, he's a senior at high school. He lives with his family nearby. 
And his father, George, is an interesting guy. He's, as far as their family goes, it seems like the general consensus is that these are pretty normal, regular people, with the exception of Wayne. He kind of stands out at school. He's kind of the odd kid, and that's because of his own actions and his own words. His, as far as his family goes, his father at one point, and I don't know, I couldn't find a year for when this happened, but it seems that at some point his father was involved in some type of robbery, which led to him serving some time in prison. And I think that this actually went down when Wayne was an adult. Another thing that went down when Wayne was an adult was his mother for the life of me, I can't figure out 100% why they've listed it this way. She died when he was a young adult and they listed her death as a suicide. Yet we have several people that were with her the night of her death that says that they were, she worked at this place called the cabin, which was known as a quote unquote cowboy bar. And I guess the way that they ran the place was that the employees were allowed to drink there, whether they were working or not. She was working that night and got pretty drunk during the course of her shift, hopped in the vehicle and decided to drive off. She smashes the vehicle head on into a tree. For whatever reason, they listed her death as a suicide. It seems to me like she was a drunk driver and made some very, very dangerous and poor decisions that night. And all of that stuff happens when Wayne is older. But what's going on right now is we have this information that the gun was located in a secret compartment inside some furniture and that Kenny is telling police Wayne Nance knew about that gun and had fired it before. So the one half of the room that likes Wayne Nance for the Donna Pounds murder, they're screaming at the top of the mountain, let's go get this kid. They get a search warrant. They go to Wayne's house. They start talking to him, asking him questions. They ask his mother questions. They search his room, and they find a couple of things that are of interest to them. One, they find this black bag, and inside the black bag, they find a couple twenty-two caliber bullets, the same caliber that was used to kill Donna Pounds. If these are related to that murder, it means Wayne either brought his own 22 caliber bullets to the crime scene with him and left with a few of them still or took some with him as some kind of trophy. Yeah. Like a souvenir. Right. So again, it doesn't directly tie him to the murder, but it's of interest. Then they find a piece of clothing that has, it appears to have some kind of blood stain on it. Now this piece of clothing has been washed at least one or two times before or since the murder. Is it clothing of his? It's his clothing, correct, found in his room. And it's been washed, but they believe that at one time it had wet blood on this clothing. Mm. They cannot confirm if it is human blood. They can't confirm that it's Donna Pounds' blood. But again, this is of interest to them. They collect the this article of clothing. They collect the bullets that they found. They take this back to the sheriff, and now here's where we are. The public is pressuring the sheriff's department to make an arrest, charge someone with Donna Pound's murder. 
the sheriff, and this was a very rare thing at the time, goes to the prosecutor and they agree what they're going to do is they're going to get together a grand jury and they're going to present everything that the police have to the grand jury. This means everything that they have against Wayne Nance, but also everything that they have against Harvey Pounds. The grand jury is then going to decide, one, do we have enough evidence to indict someone? And two, who do we indict? They review all of this evidence, all of the information provided to them, and at the end of the day, at the end of their sessions, the grand jury decides there's not enough evidence to indict anyone. Mm. We can't charge Wayne Nance. We cannot charge Harvey Pounds. And later, we would have the prosecutor and the sheriff. Now, mind you, the public, they don't know that these are the two suspects that the grand jury was looking at. This is all very silent to the public. Closed door stuff. But we have the prosecutor and the sheriff who are later on record saying that they were both relieved because neither of them thought that they had enough evidence to convict either individual and neither of them were certain who was guilty well, of this you, crime. If, if, if either of them were guilty, in fact, yeah. And you don't want to take them to trial and lose the trial and then basically lose everything. If you find out later that that's your guy, if you would have just been able to get more evidence against them. So what we have here, captain is the Donna pounds case. It's going to go cold after this grand jury decides that there's no evidence to indict anyone. They don't really have any leads on the Siobhan McGinnis case. And as far as the Bernhardt case that took place five hours away in Billings, Montana, six months earlier, they don't seem to have any leads in that one either. Life goes on. Harvey Pounds and his children, they have to go on with their lives. They have to try to pick up the pieces and have some kind of family life. Wayne Nance graduates from high school, and he joins the United States Navy that same year. And a lot of people wonder, was he out there trying to serve his country, or was this just a really good way to get out of town? Yeah, well, we've seen, well, I also wonder, because we have a lot of serial killers that enter the armed forces. And is it a way for them to, to kill people? Right. Yeah. Because you are always at the risk of going off to war. And a lot of people do not ever want to face to be put in a situation where they have to kill someone or defend themselves Mm -hmm. where somebody that is really into that kind of stuff might look for ways to, to put themselves in that type of position and joining the armed forces allows that. Right. On December 13th, 1985, this is 11 years after the unsolved murders of Donna Pounds and Siobhan McGinnis. A call came into the sheriff's department. This is in Ravalli County, Montana. So if you were to look at a map, this is the county next to the county where they found Siobhan McGinnis's dead body and where Donna Pounds was killed. A call comes into the sheriff's department, and this call was serious, simple, and to the point. The caller was a male and said in a stern voice, I'm at, gave an address, 
and said, we have two dead adults and three kids here that are still alive. Get here now. When the police show up, they're arriving to a fire, to a house fire. Mm. When they get inside and they put out the flames, this was not a very impressive fire. It looked like someone had attempted to burn down the entire house. What they found was kind of smoldering furniture that was on the ground level of the home, causing a lot of smoke, not much fire. The fire department puts out this fire. They, When they arrive, they have three children who have been removed from the home. They're out in the front yard. It's like six degrees outside. But the male caller who found the house on fire, who discovered this and called the police, he brought the kids outside. He said, we have two dead adults and three kids that are still alive. Get here now. The kids were all passed out practically comatose from a lot of smoke inhalation. What the police find inside is we find the husband and father who's been killed and he is on the ground level of the house. And then upstairs in one of the bedrooms, this is actually one of the children's bedrooms. They find the adult female, the wife and mother of the three kids. The home belonged to Michael and Teresa Shook and their three kids. Their children's ages are two, four, and seven. They had two little boys, and the baby is a girl. What they were able to determine was that at some point, someone had come into the home, tied up the husband, and stabbed him to death, and left him for dead in a room on the ground level. Mm -hmm. Upstairs in the baby's room, the wife and mother, Teresa, was sexually assaulted, tied up, and stabbed to death in the baby's room, left for dead. Whoever killed them didn't harm the children other than set the fire and leave them to die in the house fire. Thank God this guy shows up and calls in for help. Right, or the fact that he went in and got the children out. Yeah, so who is this guy? This guy is a guy named Greg Lakes. And he had every reason to be at the Shook's house that morning. His son was a babysitter for the Shook children. He was there to drop his son off to babysit the kids that day. He shows up. He said that he didn't, he was unaware that there was any type of fire or anything going on when they first showed up. They went up and knocked on the door several times. Nobody answered. So I guess they even like drove off and got, coffee or some type of breakfast and then decided to come back. They just thought maybe the family wasn't up and ready yet. And when they come back, there's still no answer. He found this to be weird. So he's like, I'm going to go around and check a side door, checks a side door. It's unlocked. He goes in and he finds the place is covered in smoke. Mm. The three children, thank God they survive this whole ordeal. And they were in the hospital for days. Because of the smoke. Correct. Police question the children as they come to, you know, once they start getting it back together here, they question the children. What they learn is that the seven-year-old who they were hoping to get some information from, as he's the oldest of the three kids, he knew nothing about this attack. What he said was that he had gone to bed after the family had dinner that night 
And next thing he knew, he woke up in the middle of the night. His younger brother, his name is Luke. Luke is the four-year-old. Woke his older brother up, went into his room, woke him up, and told him that the house was on fire. They couldn't go downstairs because that's where the flames were. They couldn't get out of any of the windows. The older boy tried some of the the windows in the upstairs. And he remembered from what he learned in school that smoke rises. They wanted to be away from the smoke. So they laid down on the ground on the floor of their bedroom and then fell asleep. Next thing he knows, he's waking up and he's in the hospital. The two-year-old, they're not going to get any information from the two-year-old. She's very much still a baby at this point. So now we have the four-year-old, the middle child. His name is Luke, and he's got some really interesting stuff to tell the police. He tells the police that he was the one that answered the door when the man came to the door that ended up killing his parents. Luke says that after the family had dinner, his mom and dad are busy cleaning up dinner. His older brother's already gone off to his bedroom. Mm -hmm. Luke hears a knock at the door. He goes and answers the door, and the man just walks right into the home. That's why children shouldn't answer the door. Yeah, this man doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't ask for anyone. He just pushes his way into the home. The man then announces that he is Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Yeah, this is weird for police. Mind you, they're interviewing a four-year-old. So they don't really know what to do with this Conan the Barbarian information. Yeah, is he telling the truth or is he just being a four-year-old and doesn't really understand the question? He's trying to be helpful, but he doesn't know any better. He said that he saw the man attack his father, and then the boy decided to run and hide in his room. Next thing he knows, he said after a good deal of time, he sees the man kind of piling up furniture in the main room at the bottom of the stairs and he sees the man lighting the fire to where he gets scared again and hides in his bedroom some a little longer and eventually the smoke causes him to go wake up his older brother that's about as much information as they can get from luke he's going to really be the only living witness there's three living children but he's the only one that seems to have witnessed anything Mm mm-hmm Police really want to know two things. One, has Luke ever seen this man before? And two, what is the guy's name? We know it's not Conan the Barbarian. Luke says that he has seen the man before, but he can't remember where or when. Mm-hmm. And when asked what the name, what the man's name was, he tries to provide them with some type of answer, but they they don't know what it is that he's saying. Like whatever he's saying doesn't seem to make sense to them. It seems like they need to ask him easier questions. Is he tall, short? Is he old, young? Right. And they may have. I don't know if they if they did or not. I'm sure that they probably did. You're right. going to ask for some pretty basic identifiers of this person. There was some holdback information in this case as well. And there often is. Most of these cases have holdback information. The holdback information in this case was that the both of the Shooks, Michael and Teresa, were tied up before being killed. That was not released to the public. The other item was that Mrs. Shook was shot once in the leg. This gunshot obviously was not what killed her. It was the stab wounds that killed her. But she was shot in the leg, and this was not released to the public. 
Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this holdback information here is we have those cases from 11 years earlier, but they're in a different jurisdiction. They're in the jurisdiction, the county to the north of where this double homicide took place. The sheriff there still very much had on his mind the murder of Donna Pounds, now a cold case in his jurisdiction. He reviewed what they put in the papers about the Shooks murder. Right. But that holdback information might have been what would tie these two together because he still very much had on his mind the ropes that were found tied to the bedpost and then down to the bed frame Mm -hmm. in the pounds home. He knew that a gun was used in the pounds murder. He was unaware that there were bindings as well as a gunshot in the shook murder where this sits. Captain is unfortunately the shook murder starts to go cold as well. And the people of that County were an uproar. They were calling for the sheriff for his job. They wanted this thing solved. Who could go into someone's home, murder the parents, leave the children to die there and set the house on fire? They wanted this monster cop. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. 
All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back, you filthy true crime animals. Cheers, cheers, tall cans in the air. Cheers one more time for the people in the back. And when we say people in the back in the garage, we mean that's third row. People in the cheap seats. <laughs> third row is the is the last row we, we have. only have three rows. So here we go, Captain. We have a desperate sheriff who's looking for answers in this case that is very quickly going cold. A double homicide in his county. He's desperate, looking for answers anywhere that he can find them. And we have a psychic that I'm not certain if he reached out to this psychic or if the psychic reached out to him. And sometimes law enforcement does that to get new leads or possible tips or anything. One detective that we spoke to said 
that he would do that just for some outside of the box thinking. Was there some possibility or theory that we've not considered? Mm -hmm. Not that they're going to put any weight into the psychic's visions or thoughts or whatever, but maybe it's just some kind of theory that we've not thought of yet. Regardless of how this interaction comes about, the psychic tells the sheriff three very interesting things. One, that the killer has some type of injury to his body. And I believe that they said like the right side of his body, maybe his leg or his hip testicle. That's about as much as they could provide on that first little detail. The second thing was that the perpetrator was in woodworking or in the furniture business in some form or fashion. The third, and this is the one that really seemed to bother the sheriff was the psychic told Sheriff die that he would have to wait until September to solve the case. Of course, Die wants to know why the psychic is unable to provide that information. Right. So then the psychic has to go to another psychic friend to figure out why. Well, they have a whole network. Right. For the psychic that. network. That's right. All right, Captain. This takes us to September 3rd of 1986. What we have here is late on September 3rd, we have a married couple who is returning to their home. They get to their house and they see a vehicle parked in their yard. Mm -hmm. Well, the husband is quite upset about this. Nobody likes it when somebody parks on your property. That's what the streets and roads are for. He tells his wife, you go ahead and go inside. I'm going to go over and check out this vehicle. He goes over to the vehicle and inside he sees a man who appears to be sleeping inside the truck. He goes in and he tells his wife, no big deal. Looks like somebody had way too much to drink and decided our property will be a good place for them to sleep it off. Right. They're in the home for a little while. He has some things outside on his property. I think like a boat and a shed, some things that are of concern to him that he's always voiced to his wife that, you know, anybody could easily steal my boat if they, if they're on the property or they could get access to the shed. So now he's starting to second guess this whole man outside sleeping thing. And they have a rel relatively big property too. I feel like I would call the cops if I, since I don't know the individual. Yeah. Well, that's his intent. He tells his wife, he's like, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to do two things. I'm going to check on the boat. And then I'm going to go over and I'm going to get the license plate number off of this truck. And I'm going to come inside and I'm going to call the sheriff and say, Hey, there's some dude in his truck on my property. Could you come and wake See, him up? That's not what I'm doing. I'm going outside. I'm getting his information and then I'm whooping his ass. He goes outside and now the truck is gone. Hmm. That seems like the result that you want. Yes. So now... The husband is outside checking on all of his property, checking the shed, checking the boat, so on and so forth. And he thinks that he sees someone in the bushes up near the house. He says, hey, who, who is this? Who are you? What's going on? And a man comes out of the bushes and says, hey, it's Wayne from work. Mm. Okay. So this guy's name is Doug Wells. He's the homeowner. His wife is Chris Wells. Doug does not work with Wayne. He Doug is a gunsmith. He purchases 
and repairs guns, sells them. He's known throughout that area for doing so. He's pretty successful at doing this. Wayne from work is Wayne from his wife's work. They work together at a furniture store. Chris is the manager there. She's the head honcho. Wayne works in the warehouse, and he's also one of their best delivery guys, delivering furniture. Doug knows Wayne a little bit, but he says, had this guy not said Wayne from work, I wouldn't have put together who it was. So he hears, it's, hey, it's Wayne from work. Doug notices that it's Wayne from his wife's work. He's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing on my property? Why are you up by my house? I'm going to whoop your ass. Wayne says, I was driving by and I thought I saw somebody creeping around on your property. So I stopped to check it out. Doug is not sure what to make of this. Mind you, he just saw someone in a truck and he saw the person in the truck. He's not yet put it together 100% that the person in the truck could have been Wayne. Right. Wayne tells him, Let's go inside. We should call the sheriff and get somebody out here to take a look at this. Doug was planning on doing that anyway, right? Doug says as soon as he turns his back, Wayne must have struck him over the head with something. Knocks him to the ground. He takes Doug inside. Now, mind you, by this point, Chris, she's been inside for a little bit of time now. She's in the bedroom getting ready for bed. It's late at night. She hears the commotion. She comes running into the room. She recognizes Wayne immediately, obviously. They've worked together for years. Wayne, what are you doing, she says. He says, look, I'm in some trouble. I've done something. I just need some money, and I'm going to get out of town. You'll never see me again. I know you have keys to the store. I know you have access to the safe, and I know how much money is in the building you're going to give me access to that money. I want the money, and I'll be out of here. Chris has no idea what Wayne's talking about. She has no idea what it is that he could have done, has no idea why he would need to flee the area. But she does have access to a safe. She has access to the work work safe. She has access to the money, and he's right. Wayne is right. There was a decent, sizable amount of money at the furniture store. I'm just saying overnight. that if you're working with this guy and he's coming at you and he says, oh, well, you have a key to a safe, but you don't, <laughs> and you don't have access for the money, then now we got even uh, even bigger problem because this guy's a psycho. The way that Wayne explains it to both Doug and Chris is that he just needs to get these keys, he might steal their vehicle, and he's going to be out of here. He tells them that he's going to need to tie both of them up. And he tells them that he's going to tie them up in different locations of the house because if he ties them up in the same room, that they're more likely to get free or help one another and get free. And he needs some time. He says, once I get to where I'm going, I will call someone and send them to your house and they will, you know, cut you free. This is 86, right? This is September of 1986. Okay, I, I let's just point this out. The, the, this was done before. We've seen this in several cases. Two that immediately come to mind are BTK and Zodiac. Right. In both of these cases, we've seen where the perpetrator says, 
I'm just going to get some money. I just need to steal your car. I'm going to tie you up to buy some time. Yeah. I just need to tie you up so then I can take her to another room to to try to rape her. Well, we hear so often, Captain, don't ever get in the car. Whatever you do, whatever they promise you, whatever they threaten you with, don't get in the car. Don't get in the car or the van. Now we're starting to learn, don't let them tie you up. No, we should already known that. Just like when Gacy wants to do that little handcuff trick. Hey, I got the handcuffs. Now you try it on. Ah, oh, fuck you. Fuck you. I'm not trying on any handcuffs. You want to tie me up? Suck it. I am not letting you tie me up. It's difficult because, look, these no, victims. No, it's not difficult. Kill me because you're not tying me up. Well, it's not difficult for you, but it's difficult for the victims in these situations because they've seen and heard and read of times where people are just tied up and left. And so in in this state, they they may believe it. They mm. just want it to be over with. Yeah, but knowing what we know now, what what would you recommend? Well, I just said what I would recommend. Don't no, let them tie you up. No tying up. Mm. What we have here is Nance decides that he is going to tie Doug up downstairs in the basement. He takes Chris down there with them and has Chris tie Doug up. Then he takes Chris upstairs to, I, I believe it's a two-story home and takes her to the, the upstairs and he's going to tie her up upstairs. Now, meanwhile, what we have going on here is we have Doug who's trying to free himself. He's already been hit over the head a couple of times. He's suffering pretty bad. He's trying to get free. He has no idea what's going on upstairs, but he can still hear and he thinks that Wayne Nance is still in the house. Mm -hmm. This guy said he's going to leave. Why is he not in a hurry to leave? Wayne must have heard some commotion because he decides to come back downstairs and he checks on Doug again, but this time he picks up a knife and he sticks it into the, the man's chest. Jesus. Doug said that he could feel the knife go right into his chest and puncture his lung and he could hear the air come out of his chest that was escaping his lung. At this point, Doug is pretty certain that he blacks out. He says he comes to a few minutes later. At this point, a couple of things have changed. One, he noticed that Wayne, when he went back upstairs, this time Wayne did not close the basement door. Doug thinks that this means that Wayne thinks that Doug is dead. Right. Doug is able to free his hands, and then he reaches down and he unties his legs. We already said that Doug is a gunsmith. His shop is the basement of his home. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, I guess that's a, that's a, a detail that I failed to point out. Wayne has a gun. Oh. Doug knows this. That's part of the reason that the two of them were tied up in separate locations. However, we're talking about handing out advice. Don't get in the car. Don't let them tie you up. Maybe don't break into a, a gunsmith's home or try to home invasion at a gunsmith's home. Yeah, and look, I, I know that it's not as simple as just, nope, you're not going to tie me up, especially when somebody has a knife or have they, they have a gun. Right. But it's like if if they shoot you dead right then, like it, it's probably going to end pretty quickly. 
if they tie you up, they have the ability to torture you or to tur- torture your loved ones. All right. I don't want anybody getting any advice from our show. I don't want somebody coming at us going, oh, <laughs> let's, let's just, just move on. Well, let's march forward. Well, just as a reminder, there's beards are flowing, so don't listen to anything we're saying. We're just two idiots in a garage. Yes. And they won't allow us to leave. Mm-hmm. We're trapped. Doug comes to, and he picks up one of the guns that he's been working on. And listen to how smart this guy is. He says to himself, I only have seconds. Doug is an avid hunter. Unfortunately, he's shot animals in the chest while out hunting. He knows that sometimes a deer might run around for 20, 30 seconds afterwards. He tells himself from that experience, I've got about 30 seconds and I'm going to die because this guy stabbed me in the chest. He decides he's only got enough time for one bullet in this gun. He's got to load the gun and then go find Wayne. And he tells himself, I got 30 seconds until I die and I'm taking this guy with me. He puts one bullet in the gun and he decides that whatever's going on upstairs, he does not have the strength or the vision because mind you, he's in very bad shape. He's close to dying. Mm Mm-hmm to shoot at Wayne Nance in the same room as his wife, as he will very likely shoot her on accident. He decides he's going to make some noise and make Wayne come to him. Yeah. He makes a little bit of noise. He hears the basement door open. And as soon as he spotted Wayne long enough to make sure that it is Wayne and not his wife, Chris, he pulls the trigger. He puts one in Wayne's chest. He goes up the stairs to where Wayne is lying. Wayne starts to get up. Doug takes this gun and beats the hell out of Wayne Nance. (laughs) He keeps hitting him over and over and over again in the head and neck area. Kick his ass. Driving him to the ground, driving him to the ground. Wayne keeps trying to get up driving him to the ground. Eventually, Wayne stops moving. And now we have Doug and Chris who call the sheriff's department. Sheriff come out. They figure out what's going on. The The call is interesting in itself, too, because Doug is in very bad shape. His estimate of, I've got about 30 seconds, well, he wasn't too far off from that because it was Chris that called the police. She says... I need an ambulance here now. My husband is dying. A man attacked my husband and he's dying. Right. Well, of course, they want to know how many squad cars and how many ambulances to send to the place. And they want to know what's going on, what they're walking into. They say to Chris, what's going on with the other guy? What's going on with the attacker? Chris says, I don't care. Get here and save my husband. Yeah. Well, to put a long story short there, Captain or to shorten my long story, mm-hmm. Wayne Nance dies. And I've read a few different versions of this. I don't know which to be true. I think he probably died on the way to the hospital. Some of the short versions say he died at the hospital. Some say he was dead upon arrival. Regardless, we know the result. Wayne Nance attempted to do something very horrible to these people. He was attempting to 
rape Chris Wells, steal some things from the home, and kill both of them. Yeah, he's probably going to light them on fire. He was unsuccessful, thankfully, in doing so. Yeah, and before he died, he looked up at the sky and he put his hands up and said, I am Conan the Barbarian. Well, the thing that was weird here is we have the sheriff's department that they have known all of this time. We're talking, this is like 12 years later. They still have the Donna Pounds murder on their minds. Right. The sheriff, the head honcho in charge, he knows that Wayne Nance was one of two prime suspects in Donna Pounds' murder. They, being law enforcement, were on record when they were interviewed by the newspaper the very next morning about, you know, what happened last night. These two people were attacked inside their home. They, this man attempted to kill both of them. The husband and wife managed to get free and kill the perpetrator. Law enforcement said to the newspapers, that was like Christmas morning for us. This is one of those times that the good guys won. Yeah, the good guys won. And now were they able to connect him more to the Pounds case? That's very interesting. As said, he was one of two prime suspects in that case, so much so that they took that evidence against Wayne Nance to the grand jury that decided not to indict. Right. What's really interesting was the Shook murder case, Michael and Teresa, the one where the house was set on fire and the three kids survived. What we have going on now, this is 10 months later after their murder. That case was starting to go cold. Police had no leads, not much in the way of evidence either in that case. They had this story from the four-year-old who survived, who couldn't really tell them anything other than, The man pushed himself into the house and said he was Conan the Barbarian. We get a phone call to the sheriff's department from the grandparents. The grandparents are now, the the surviving children live with the grandparents. The grandfather, he heard the news about the attack against the Wellses and how this guy worked at a furniture store worked for Chris. They both worked at the furniture store that he tried to kill this couple. Mm -hmm. The grandfather remembers the Shooks purchased furniture shortly before they were killed. In fact, he helped them pay for it. So he knew where it was purchased from. It was purchased from the same furniture store that Chris worked at, that Wayne Nance worked at. And it was later determined that Wayne Nance was, in fact, the delivery driver of that furniture. That's where that little boy, Luke, had seen the man before, but couldn't place the when or where or why. Mm. Police did a follow-up investigation because now we have a dead suspect, a guy who has been killed in the commission of trying to commit further murder. He's a suspect in several murders at this point. They search his home where he was still living with his father at this point. His mother's already passed away from that car accident that we talked about earlier. They find stolen items from the Shook family home in Wayne Nance's room. And these were items that were pretty much one of a kind. Pretty rare items. Yeah. These weren't just common household goods. 
got him. They were able to find things from Donna Pounds' home inside his room as well. Right. So what Doug and Chris did, not only did they save their own lives, they probably saved future lives of this serial killer who was going about his killing business undetected, but they also helped to solve the Shook murder case, double homicide, and the now very cold Donna Pounds case. All right, but what about the other cases that you have talked about? Well, it's interesting here, Captain, because there was a lot of thought put into the possibilities with Wayne Nance. Unfortunately, we have a dead suspect in these other cases. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this so many times. These serial killers, they are a weird breed where we get them, we lock them up, and sometimes they spill their guts and they sing like a bird and they tell us all kinds of stuff. They tell us all kinds of stories, some of them true, some of them false. They claim numbers that they have not achieved as far as killing goes. They, other times they shut down and don't say that they uh, don't admit to anything. With this case, we're left to speculate. And our friends out in Quantico, the FBI profilers, they were very interested in the possibilities of Wayne Nance. Mm Mm-hmm. They had speculated that he probably killed five-year-old Siobhan McGinnis. And there were several thoughts put into this theory. One, that she was an easy, vulnerable victim. That it was part of his process of becoming the serial killer. She would have been, unfortunately, a low-risk victim for someone like Nance who wanted to try his hand at killing for several reasons. One, she's very young. She likely didn't know Wayne Nance. And if he attempted to do anything, she wouldn't be able to identify him if she survived. Also, she's only five, so she doesn't put up much of a fight. There's another theory involving the possibility of Wayne Nance killing Siobhan McGinnis. And the thought was that maybe he was into killing kids. And that his target two months later was not Donna Pounds, but he had been watching the house and maybe the 12 year old daughter, Kathy was his actual target. But Donna Pounds came home before Kathy did, and he decided to attack and kill her. The FBI has talked about this quite a bit. And Roy Hazelwood, who I'm a big fan of, he's written several very good books. He put forth a couple of theories about Wayne Nance's potential involvement in the Siobhan McGinnis case. However, in 2008, we find out through DNA analysis found on Siobhan McGinnis that Wayne Nance is not responsible for her murder. So it looks like Donna Pounds was, in fact, his target on that day. Yeah, it seems like part of his sexual fantasy was an individual that he knew that possibly was maybe a little bit older than he was or somebody in an authority figure. Yeah, it appears that he became infatuated with these women, with these three targets. Mm-hmm. Now, he's tied to several other cases, and we did discuss the possibility that the unknown killer at the time, back in 74, might have been responsible for the murder of Clifford and Linda Barnhart 
that took place in Billings, Montana, five hours away. Very weird here, Captain. It was just last year that they were able to find the killer of the Barnharts all of these years later. In 2019, authorities identified the killer of the Barnharts as Cecil Stan Caldwell. He was a co-worker of Linda Barnhart's, who died in 2003 at the age of 59. Cardwell had no arrest record. It turns out that it looks like Cecil Stan Caldwell was the unknown dinner guest for that night at the Barnhart house. And what about these other Jane Doe's? Yeah, in the trailer, we discussed two Jane Doe's. We talked about Christy Crystal Creek and another Jane Doe that was named Debbie Deer Creek. Well, in the course of about five years, from 1980 to 1985, there were three unidentified women found close to the city of Missoula. One found in 1980, one in 84, one in 85. All of these victims were determined to be murdered. They were unidentified remains. The first victim was found in January of 1980, and she was dubbed Betty Beavertail. Eventually, she was identified, but they've not been able to determine who killed her or put her in that location. A second body was found in 1984, and she was the one that they labeled as Debbie Deer Creek. The third body was that of Christy Crystal Creek found in 1985. It took many, many years, Captain, but they were able to identify Debbie Deer Creek as being Sherry Bachman. She was about 16 years old when she ran away from home, and it's believed that she hitchhiked her way into the area. Where she falls into our case is there was this mysterious girl that was not from the area way back when living with Wayne Nance for a brief period of time, going by the name of Robin. After this unidentified woman was identified as Sherry Bachman and pictures were released to the public featuring her sitting next to Wayne Nance, many people came forward and said, hey, we know this girl that was named Robin that was living with Wayne for several weeks, and then all of a sudden she was gone one day. And when asked what happened to your girlfriend, Robin, who you seem so serious with, Wayne had a different story for each person that asked him that question. What happened to Robin? Where'd she go? Did you guys break up? He had a different story for each one. So Wayne Nance is pretty firmly believed to be responsible for the death of Sherry Bachman, once named Debbie Deer Creek. Where our case stands today is that we still need to know the identity of Christy Crystal Creek. She was found in Missoula, Montana. She was shot to death. She was found on September 9th, 1985. Anyone with any additional information regarding the identity of this person or to request additional information, please contact the Missoula County Sheriff's Office at 406-258-3348 or the FBI Violent Criminal Apprehension Program 
at 800-634-4097. I want to thank everybody so much for sharing on social media. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for this week? Yes, we do, Captain. This week we are recommending To Kill and Kill Again by John Colston. To Kill and Kill Again reveals the disturbing compulsions of a charming serial killer who fooled nearly everyone he knew. Check out that great title and many others at truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page. And I recommend that you join us back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't let They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.